Exodus 31. Now, I read a story this week. You know the term burnout? You know, it hasn't always existed. Uh, you know, I, when I read about the Apostle Paul and how driven he was, it, there's no place where in the book of Philippians, as he's in jail, that he writes, I'm seriously burned out. You know, that, that was not a thought to him. Uh, the term burnout was popularized in the 1970s. Does that surprise anybody in here at all? By an American psychologist named Herbert Freudenberger. Now, by the way, if you go to the garage or to, to, to Louis, you cannot order a Freudenberger. But you might try. Uh, they might have it at Red Robin, you know it probably has an egg on it, okay? Now, uh, Freudenberger worked, uh, he worked with people, he did a study with people who worked in free clinics all over the country, and he, he uh, found that many clinic workers in these free clinics were exhausted, and they became listless and unable to cope over time. Doctors and nurses and social workers exhibited burnout when their idealism gave way to cynicism catch that, when your idealism gives way to cynicism. Uh, and they felt increasingly ineffective and kind of helpless. And so he coins the term burnout to apply to those who are stressed out uh, in all kinds of professions and all kinds of work. Now, uh, the negative effects of burnout spill over not only just at work, but uh, in home and social life. When that happens, relationships don't get the full focus they deserve. Prioritizing becomes difficult. Busyness replaces true accomplishment. And over the long run, burnout can make people vulnerable to illness. Our bodies have limitations. Overwork paired with insufficient rest is a poisonous recipe. And today we're going to talk about uh, God's kind of antidote for that. So I wrote at the top of your uh, outline for today, I wrote, uh, without rest, we're prone to burnout or illness or worse. And when, what we're, when we do that, we're, we're ignoring a God-ordained, God-purposed rhythm in life. And we're going to talk about that rhythm today. So we're going to talk about this word Sabbath. And when you think the word Sabbath, I want you just to replace the word with rest. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. Now, uh, let me give you a little background. Um... In, in Exodus 31, we begin to talk about the principle of Sabbath. It is not the first time in the Bible that the word Sabbath is used as a noun. It was used, certainly in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, when, uh, when God talks about this principle or law of Sabbath. And he, it's interesting, in all of the Ten Commandments, he spends on the fourth, what I believe is the fourth commandment, he, he spends more verbiage, more words on talking about Sabbath than, for instance, murder and stealing and all those things. He spends a whole paragraph on talking about Sabbath and why, those kinds of things. Uh, but it wasn't even for the first time encountered the idea of Sabbath there. Certainly before then in Exodus 16, um, uh, Sabbath is encountered and it's, it's the principle of it and even the term is used um, to describe something they needed to do when, they were, when the, the folks in the wilderness, uh, two million or so of them, are in the wilderness and they're gathering manna provisions for their daily uh, provision. Uh, the Bible will say right there in Exodus 16 that 
for six days. Uh, you gather manna to provide for your family. And on the sixth day, you gather up a double portion. And it will last till the seventh so you don't have to do the work of going out and gathering it. Now, by the way, the guy that was involved in that whole thing that is important to you, his name was uh, Tupperberg. He was, a, he was a Jewish guy in, in, uh, uh, with Moses in the wilderness, Tupperberg. He eventually invents Tupperware so they can save that. No. no that's not it? I, I read it on Wikipedia. It's got to be true. No? Okay. All right. The truth is, if they gathered more than they needed for those two days, it would kind of be putrefied by the, by the second day. Okay? Or if they tried to do that on other days, it would be putrefied. No Tupperware. Okay, that was the deal. But it was a bigger principle than this. In the third month after leaving Egypt, the Israelites camp, camp uh, in front of Mount Sinai, and God speaks to them through Moses, gives them the Ten Commandments, and Sabbath was on that list of things. Now, further instructions about Sabbath followed, including uh, that land was to be left fallow one year and seven, uh, a weekly Sabbath rest for every person and beast of burden was mandatory. You didn't get, uh, you, not only did you get a day off on Saturday, but so did your donkey or your ox. And it was part of, um, it, it was a rhythm here, a part of that. Moses confirms the covenant with the people in Exodus 24. And then God again calls him up on top of the mountain. This time he's going to stay 40 days and 40 nights on the top of the mountain. When he comes down is when the golden calf thing has taken place. And you remember, he, uh, uh, he's the first recorded to break the Ten Commandments. He throws them down and breaks them and has to go back up and get them. Um, but God commands, um, begins to command him up there about the construction of the tabernacle, how to furnish it, all those things. And what happens is, uh, what we're going to encounter today is at the conclusion of all that. So, 31, as we start chapter 31, is at the conclusion of all of that. Now, we've been talking about covenant signs in this series. We talked about the bow and the clouds. We talked about circumcision a couple of weeks ago. This, if your Bible is like mine, the paragraph heading before uh, verse 12 in uh, chapter 31 says, the sign of the Sabbath. This, I don't, I've never really thought before of Sabbath as a sign, but it is. We're going to try to unpack that. Now, Steve Blair, can you start us there and read 12 down through 15? sounds like it's kind of serious. Well, let's, let's see why it says that. Now, uh, what I want you to know, first of all, is the word Sabbath is not an English word, although it's become one. 
Sabbath is one of those transliterated words that was a Hebrew word that is carried in its completion in English. Can you think of another one? There are not many. There are a few. Amen is one of those. Or, if you're Episcopalian, amen. Okay? If, if you come, you know, come to little churches like I do, it's amen. But, okay, uh, that's another one of those transliterated words that isn't, isn't translated. It's just carried over in its entirety into English. Sabbath is one of those words. Now, I want you to go with me. Let's take a little journey. Go with me to, to chapter 25 for just a minute. Okay? This will be the, I, I think it's in, incredible here. There are seven times that God has spoken to Moses in just a few chapters, beginning in 25 and down through 31. Let, let me show you them just really, really quickly. We're going to go to 25.1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, okay, catch that? Okay, go to 30.11. All right, 30.11. The Lord also spoke to Moses saying, okay. All right, let's go to same chapter, verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Okay, go to verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, okay, that's verse 22. Now verse 34, same chapter, okay, is then the Lord said to Moses, catching that, you following with me here? 31.1, now the Lord spoke to Moses and now we're in verse 12, now the Lord spoke to Moses. Now, I bring that to you because I find this is interesting. I'm going to let you record a couple of numbers here. If I counted right, this is the seventh time God has spoken to Moses in these few chapters. And he's talking to him about the seventh day. I think that might have been intentional. What do you think? The seventh time, on the seventh time, now the Lord says, I want you to deal with the seventh day. And that's what he's going to deal with here. Um, the sign of the Sabbath. Um, okay, so for the seventh time, God speaks to Moses about the seventh day. Now, this, we said it before. This is not the first mention of the Bible uh, about Sabbath observance. All right. We mentioned, we talked about um, it in the... Um, in the earlier chapters of chapter 16 when they're gathering manna, we get it there. But it's also implied, uh, the word is used, but it's not transliterated in our Bible. If you go with me to Genesis 2, that ought to be fairly easy to get to. Uh, the, the Really, mine, where I want you to go is the, the, uh, uh, the really my first page of, of the text in the Bible. Um, let's go to Genesis 2, and I want somebody to read the first, second, and third verses of I'm sorry, yeah, first, second, third verses of Genesis 2. Somebody read that? Okay, I want to tell them, do a little word work here with you, okay? As you read that, if you look at verse 2, thank, thank you, Jan, for reading that. When God had completed his work, which he had done, and he rested. See that, verse 2? Look at verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it he rested. Those two words, you could say, if it was transliterated the way it is in the Bible, it would say, God 
Sabbath. Okay? That's the verb. It's used as a verb there. God Sabbath after he'd created. And it's interesting that the implication is, or really there's no implication to it. It's not left to implication. It's just spelled out here that the that the um, that the day becomes holy here. Now, what I want you to think about here. So, a couple of you, we had a conversation two weeks ago when we were talking about the uh, the sign of circumcision. Katie, remember you and I talked about it just for a minute, and you said, "Okay, but what about women?" And we talked about the implication of that, and, and I do think it had more than a male connotation, although it was a really male-dominated society. But what I want you to notice here is that this sign is for all. Men and women and everybody. The sign of Sabbath. I want you to think about it in that way. It was for all, not just for males. If the circumcision rite in Genesis 17 was for males, the Sabbath sign was for everybody to observe. And in verse 14 then, in our text, back in in, in, uh, Genesis 31, there's this thought, and it's really not not a unique thought with Moses. He's aware of what's going on that's recorded as we believe he wrote it, as conservatives believe he wrote it, uh, what was going on in Genesis 2. The seventh day is holy. And we heard Steve read that defying it or defiling it seems to be kind of a big deal because this day is holy. If we desecrate it, it kind of sounds like at least the same uh, conflict here as uh, as would be for the act, an act of blasphemy. Now, what's a blasphemy? Big word. Talking against God, disrespecting God, right? So I want to I want to turn this a little bit in your thinking, and it, it, the Lord's been working with me in my thinking on this. Could it be? That the talk in our culture, so much talk about nature, including giving nature uh, a uh, not just a symbol, but a name and a personage, Mother Nature, to describe what God has done, what God has created, could it be that our drift toward that kind of thing. I read to you a couple weeks ago about uh, what NASA says about certain things, uh, like rainbows, for instance. You remember that? And, of course, it's all about what's natural and how nature does this, not God, right? Could it be, uh, I want to read my notes here so I don't get off track even further. Could it be that all this talk of nature comes from our failure in verse 13 and verse 14. Could it be that one of the reasons our society has drifted that way is those of us who really know and believe that God made it all, whether you believe in a literal six-day creation or not. And by the way, I'm not going to make that a test of fellowship or faith. Could it be that that those of us who are people of faith and believe God made it all, could it be that our failure to Sabbath is one of the reasons that our culture now 
talks more about Mother Nature than about the God of creation. Because I believe the original intent of the fourth commandment, the original intent that goes all the way back to Genesis 2, I believe the original intent as, as our culture watches us Sabbath, we acknowledge the God of creation who Sabbathed at the end of it. Could it be? Could it be? I'm going to take that stretch for a minute. I'm going to come back to it at the end of the time. So if you've got to leave, uh, you can listen to it online or ask your friends, or you can ignore me altogether. So that's okay. <laughs> now, notice that verse 15 kind of just repeats verse 14. When the Bible does that, what does that mean? means it's really important. Yeah, you're exactly right. means it's really important. Uh, when Jesus would say, verily, verily, I say unto you. You know what I mean? It, 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 when, when something is repeated, it means it's really, really important. Now, uh, go with me to 35, and I want us to read together verse 2 and 3. Here's where one of the places where it's repeated. For six days work may be done. Uh, verse 2, 35, 2. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath, a complete rest of the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. It's the idea that you can't even gather sticks on that day to make fire. Uh, now, isn't it interesting that, that the reason every time it's talked about here, first of all, it, it's kind of evidently this is a big deal. Um, so much that there's capital punishment involved in it. Now, where I want us to go here is a couple places, if you'll help me, let's go to a couple places in the New Testament because what I'm going to tell you is, let me assign them first, then I'm going to come back. Who will go to Luke? These are a lot easier to find. Luke 13, 15. Somebody go to Luke 13. Thank you, Karen. Matthew uh, 12, 5. Somebody get that one? Thank you, John. And then Mark 2.27. Mark 2.27. You get it? There you go. Uh, Doyle, I heard that. All right. Now, let's. what I want to do is listen to what Jesus has to say about this. Now, by Jesus' day, the Sabbath was, it had become such a big deal that it was abused in all kinds of ways. And what you need to know is that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the living Word of God, reserves the right, I love him for this, reserves the right to reinterpret what was being taught about Old Testament law, certainly about the Sabbath law. And we're going to see a couple of things he has to say because there's some abuses of the law. There's some real stinkiness that's come into the culture over Sabbath law by now. You can do this, but you can't do this. You can do this, but you can't do this. You can do this, this, and this, but you better not do that, that, or that. Hundreds of rules about it. So Jesus is just kind of worn out by it. And he begins to deal with it. Let's look at a couple of places where he, he talks about it here. Um, okay, Luke 13, 15. Karen, is that you? Okay, I'm not going to turn there, Karen, but take a look. Isn't this the place where 
the, the disciples were gathering grain on the Sabbath to eat. They were just, as they walked by, they grabbed grab a little grain, which was legal. It was part of the system. Is that, if I got it right, Karen? And they, the, uh, the legalists in the day get real mad at the disciples because they're picking grain. That's kind of where he's doing. He said, wait a minute. If you got an oxen's ditch, you're going you're gonna to deal with it. So there's, there's this kind of thing uh, where there's some caveats to the law of Sabbath. Okay, let's look at another one. Uh, John, did you get Matthew 12, 5? Now, that's the deal that I've lived with my entire adult life. Do preachers get a Sabbath? Okay? And it's saying, don't you know the priest works on Sabbath? And he's not obeying, he's not disobeying the law. Okay, so, I mean, Jesus is shrewd. He's, he's, you've got to realize when he deals with anything, he's the smartest guy that's ever commented on the subject about whatever that subject is. Okay? So, all right, let's go one more now. This is the one that I put on your, on your outline. Um, Mark 2.27. Sally? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So he, what he is forbidding here is for you and I to get real stinky about this. Real kind of critical of one another about this thing. Ron and I were talking about the breakfast table this morning, that the rule of law in their home was they did not take the Sunday paper. You weren't allowed to read the paper on Sunday in your home. Could you watch TV at all? Couldn't read anything but the Bible or something from church. But you could watch TV. That's interesting. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, all right, the reason that caveat was because your dad and your brother like to watch NASCAR. But okay. Uh, uh, okay, don't, don't throw me under that bus, all right? Now, isn't it interesting what Jesus deals with? It? Now, what you need to know, uh, and we're going to go on to verse 16 and 17 back in Exodus 31 here in a second. So somebody tee that up to read it in just a second. What you need to know is that when Jesus is reinterpreting this, he knows that in Moses' day, and really in Jesus' day, hey, here's what you got to think of. This is not, we're not talking about an eight-hour work day. We're talking about a full, at least 12-hour work day in Moses' day. Six 12s makes what? Who, who math people here? If I'm not mistaken, I think that's still 72. Sally taught me well. And you too. Uh, 72 hours in a week. You know, usually when we think about an 80-hour work week or a 70-hour work week, we get all nervous about that. But that was common in Moses' day. So can you understand how dull they would have become, how spiritually insensitive they would have become if they did now a seventh 12-hour day? With no hope for rest. So woven in the fabric of culture by God and by the way God sets it up. Six full days of work and a rest, a day for worship and rest. 
that's kind of how it's set up. Now, who's got, who would, wouldn't mind to go to verse 16 in Exodus 31? And actually, go ahead and read 16, 17, and 18. Now, the word here that's used is the same word, the same Hebrew word that's used when God puts the bow in the heavens. This is a lasting covenant, he says. When he talks in Genesis 12 and other places about the, the or 17, about the uh, law of circumcision, that's to be a lasting ordinance or a lasting covenant, a lasting promise. He uses the same term here to describe this Sabbath principle. What does it mean to you then that this celebration is to be lasting? Now, some, in some cultures, keep the seventh day because that's the way the Old Testament taught it. Uh, when I was in college, Rhonda worked as a nurse's aide at a hospital in Avon Park, Florida. There was an Adventist hospital, a good hospital. But that group of people, uh, Mormons and others, believe that Sabbath worship and all those things are to be done on the seventh day, on Saturday, not Sunday. Why does, but when do we start making Sunday holy? I'm sorry? In the New Testament. You're absolutely right, Karen. By the time we get to the book of Acts, certainly all through Paul's writing, there's lots and lots of evidence that, that they worshiped, that the church gathered on Sunday because the Sunday was the Lord's Day. They kept calling it the Lord's Day because it was Resurrection Day. Do you realize every Sunday is Resurrection Day? Every Sunday is Easter? What you need to know for the Jewish people among them is they maintained Sabbath observance as well. They would, do, they would live out their Jewishness. They'd go to the synagogue or the temple or wherever they, they worshipped on Saturday and then worship with the family of faith, uh, uh, the Christian family of faith on Sunday. I, I find that really, really interesting. Um, that this kind of seventh day. So what does it mean for you and me uh, here? Now, uh, just one more blank to fill in here. Like circumcision, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, the observance serves as a sign. It's interesting to me that New Testament Jews still observed this, but there was lots of teaching and lots of discouragement against legalism about it. Go with me if you would. To Romans 14. We're going to stay in the New Testament now till the end of today, today's talk. Romans 14. Would somebody read verse 5? 
Interesting, Brad. One believes this day is holy. Another believes this day is holy. And Paul is just basically saying, don't judge one another on that. I think, if I'm interpreting it right, I think Jesus somewhat was doing that. Okay? Um, it's a caution here against legalism about any of these things. But that being said, I'm going to take you back 180 degrees the other direction and say, here's my question about your Sabbath observance. How do others observe you? If it's a sign to be in our lives, how, does, how do others observe you? Okay, Are you um, the kind of person who's going to say, you know what, I just don't do restaurants on Sunday. I don't go shopping on Sunday because it's my Sabbath. And the problem with that is, do you get really legalistic about it? Okay. Um, uh, do you, uh, uh, I'm guilty of this, okay? T the, the typical pattern in the Seton household in Oklahoma City, at least, is um, we, we do, we're calling, checking with one another, and I've got a friend um, that, that we meet every week for Sunday brunch or Sunday lunch somewhere, and we meet our daughter, and it's kind of, it's part of the ritual. And, um, I, but sometimes, now that I'm not, at least right now, not playing in the, in the orchestra, uh, I'll go home and, and I'll start, haven't done it much yet, but I'll start to put on a pair of jeans before I meet them for lunch because we don't meet them until after the last service today. And I get really nervous about putting on jeans on Sunday to go to lunch, thinking, <laughs> thinking somebody will think I didn't go to church. <laughs> Am I only per the only person in the room like that? I, you know? Because I have a tendency, okay, here's the blackness in my heart. I have a tendency to see how people are dressed at the restaurant and think, well, he obviously didn't go to church. <laughs> but you and I know that, that dress code is out the window these days. You can't make that Im implication, right? So what, what are we to do? What are we supposed to do? In 1549, in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, for those of us who are really hip, we call that the BCP. Yeah. Um, the words first were penned this way. The guy by the name of Bishop Archbishop Cranmer wrote this. In the ceremony that was a long part of the Christian covenant of marriage, goes way back to there, the bride and the groom vowed to have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for rich, for poor, sickness and health. I've said it a thousand times. But times have changed. Couples are now more likely to promise to love each other through fat and skinny. <laughs> or one couple said, until you become a Cubs fan. <laughs> Actual words, by the way. The trend these days is to play down the till death do us part thing and haven't we done that to our peril? Certainly where Christian marriage is concerned. So, if God is saying, observe this till death do us part, what are we supposed to do with that? Let's talk a little, let me give you in the five minutes is left, seven minutes, if that, Cole swears that that's right. Okay? 
Uh, it's interesting in verse 18, uh, Moses comes down from the mountain. These laws, including number four, are set in stone. <laughs> you know, I got to think about that just a little bit. Um, um, they're just set in stone. So what does it mean here? In what ways does the law of the Sabbath still stand? Now, I want us to go back to Romans 14. I also want us to go to Colossians 2, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that those things just a little bit, kind of in closing here, okay? Let's look at Romans 14 again. Who was there a minute ago? I want you to go ahead and read verse 5, 6, and 7. Nobody lives to themselves alone, and nobody dies to themselves alone. I, I've been in conversations with people who will say, I'll say, well, I didn't see you at church today, and they'll say, I was taking a mental health day. <laughs> What's the implications of that? About the church, for crying out loud. You know? Well, we, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm really struggling at not being legalistic about this. But I want to enter into the record. But, but let's go to one more. Colossians two sixteen. Who who will read that? Let them judge you about a Sabbath day. Now, by the way, okay, we read what Paul said. But Paul also, when you read in places like Acts 17 verse 2, it will say, Paul went to the synagogue as was his custom. It says about Jesus in Luke 4.16 that he, he showed up at the, as, at the synagogue as was his custom. These guys that were teaching about it in the first century were men who were there, Sabbath in, Sabbath out. What is your custom? It obviously applied both to Jesus and to Paul. Matthew Sleeth, an author, thinks that there's a value to this regular periodic rest. He's a former emergency room doctor, and Sleeth is the author of a book titled 24-6, <laughs> A Prescription for a Healthier, Happier Life. The book calls for making one day a week a work-free day. In an interview with CNN, he said, I don't try to define what rest is for a person, but I ask you to figure out what work is for you and don't do it one day out of the week. What is work for you? Don't do it one day out of the week. Roger, if you're, if, I, I think this is an oxymoron, but if you're a professional fisherman, what do you do on your day off? I, I don't know. If you're a professional golfer, what do you do on your day off? Those things seem like oxymorons to me, but okay. Whatever you do for work, 
Don't do it one day a week. That's what Sleeth recommends. That's just kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? Now here's what I'll remind you of. There is a rhythm to this life. God built it that way. He built the world that way. He built the universe that way, and he made you that way. Jesus reminds us that the Sabbath was made for you. He said it. I didn't say it. He said the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. But before I say, okay, you know, I've worked six days out of the last seven. I'm just going to sleep all day on Sunday. Let me remind you that the principle is that Sabbath is a day for rest and worship, not for a day of rest from worship. Is that fair for me to say? And it, and, but let's give one another the benefit of the doubt here in how we're going to live it out. I, I'm working on it for the first time, very well at least, in my entire adult life. Sundays have always been incredibly stressful for me. Less so probably now than ever. But my life is incredibly stressful. I, I think about when my little kids were little, uh, we, you know, I was doing youth ministry and worship stuff, and and uh, there was something going on all the time. So on Sunday, we, I was up really, really early doing my thing, scrambling until about one o'clock, and then I had to go back in the evening and do something else, to be on and lead and all those, and then usually some kind of an event after church. And then I went to work at seven o'clock on Monday, and I think about. And I need to write her and tell her about this. I think about those occasions when a little couple in one of our churches in eastern Kentucky, who would, by the way, our kids would sit with them in church because we were always on the platform. When Margaret would come up to Rhonda after church and say, uh, I have this in the oven, whatever it was. Come home with us. And I can remember seeing this girl laying in the backyard in their hammock on Many, many Sundays. At least for a couple of hours. To get a little bit of rest. And just, we were cared for by Margaret and Jim McGuire. Jim's in heaven now. Margaret's in South Carolina. And I just recognize that there's got to be a pattern to this. It's crucially important. What will the world know about the God who creates by watching the rhythm of your life? That's my question. By the way, next week we'll be in Ezekiel 35 and 36. We'll talk about another piece of the covenant. I'll see you here. Thanks.